and welcome to ASMR Tirar de Huello. Are you hoping to calm your mind, relax your body, or experience ASMR? Dr. Andrew Michaels is here to help you. Today, Dr. Andrew Michaels learns more about the ancient species of the Earth and how they interact. But what are they doing in Chicago? Ah, Dr. Andrew Michaels, you ask me why we're buying so much real estate in your fair city of Chicago, Illinois. Well, you discovered the marsupials hidden observation post when they had an unscheduled accident a automobile wreck if you remember and they had to pull up stakes as you would say and skip town it took them a long time to get over the anger of being discovered by your kind I don't know if you can understand that, but becoming weak, becoming weak like a human to them, to be discovered by an inferior race as they would call you, don't take it as an insult, take it almost as a compliment. We all want to Ignore the ascension of another race becoming an equal to us, don't we all, fair doctor, even in your own kind? You divide yourself by race, by nationality, by religion. But in reality, there is only one human race. And you either ascend or descend on the scale together. Take it as a compliment and not a prejudice. It's hard when the new kid in town upstages you and you're at their mercy. <laughs> My race was tasked with finding a new hidden location. We are very good at infiltration. Our, our mimicking skills as octopus allow us to blend quite easily into the human culture, and we can read your minds with our psionic thought transfers, communicate and appear human to you. Only your modern techniques of photography seem to be exposing us, which is quite interesting. We thought we had all the Base is covered, I think is what you would call it. We studied your photography, and we thought we had worked around it with our skills, but obviously we need to go back to the drawing board. I do like talking in your slang words, your slang terms. It's, they're so generous in their meaning and their interpretation. You never know what a person might be actually thinking. 
two birds with one stone. <laughs> I like that one. I want to use it in a conversation so badly, and I, I try so hard with my receptionist to get her to talk to me and let me use the colloquialisms of the times. But I think she thinks I'm fancying her. I guess not every man finds her attractive in a physical sense. She's just a receptionist. But I find her most intriguing. She's so intelligent. And I guess she's attractive for a female of your species. I do see the men oogling her. I think that's the right word. Is oogling the right word? Or is that when they touch? No, 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 no. Yes, um, I see them peering at her. That sounds even worse. I see them catching glimpses of her as they walk by or she walks by. She must be attractive to the other males of your population. She's a successful wife and mother. I can't see her not being attractive. For us, for the octopus, it's very different. We don't mate in quite the same way. We find somebody who shares our thoughts and desires, maybe even some of our past familial memories. And it's our blending of thoughts and our minds that is so salivating, so captivating, so sensual. The binding of thoughts and mind is so erotic to an octopus. With humans, it seems more physical and visceral and sweaty, for lack of a better term. <laughs> I don't envy you. And you all get this worked up, this, this frenzied sexual activity for one or two, possibly maybe three offspring at once. And it takes nine months to deliver. I thought the marsupials were terrible at procreation, but human beings are worse. <laughs> and your babies are helpless, helpless for twenty years. You're, you, you take longer to grow to an adult, self-sufficient creature than my race lives. My race lives on an average of only five years from birth to death. <laughs> But I assure you, there are those in the octopus community that have a longer lifespan. There, there are those of us who have chosen to stretch our lives further past that demarcation of five years to ensure the race has potential in the future to survive. Survivability is the key. So there are those of my race that can live 15, 20, 30 years, and this is ancient by our standards. And it's hard for those of that age to stay sane, if you could imagine. The memories of all of those they've known in their life gone. It's almost like time traveling into the future for them. They have a hard time holding on to their sanity. Depression is also another thing that strikes them. 
when they are such long-lived, and it's quite sad to see them suffer so. They have to stay almost solitary, almost like a eternal solitary confinement, so that the memories of those around them don't corrupt either way. They don't want to corrupt us or us corrupt them. But they stay and they live, and they live a long, long life in hopes that they could pass on certain information in case of emergencies. And it's sad to see somebody suffering this way, because we don't truly die. I am much like the ones that came before me. We share memories, we share experiences, we even share loved ones. Our loved ones are all around us, our offspring, our wives. Oh, wives, yes, that's true, I have many wives, Dr. Andrew Michaels, where you only have one. <laughs> I have hundreds of offspring, hundreds, and they all love me, and I can reach out and feel their minds. And that's the scary part, when there's a cataclysm or a epidemic or destruction of a city. We all feel our family members dying, one by one, blinking out like a light. And we try to retain their memories. We try to hold on to their soul, if you will, and pull them all inside us. And the screams, the psionic screams, if you could only hear us scream. I dare say... To hear one of my kind scream would probably kill one of your kind. They have been known to cause cerebral hemorrhage in mammalian creatures. So I hope you never have to experience the pain of hearing one of my, my race cry out in pain. Of watching a loved one blink out of existence, not before their very eyes, before their very mind. We cannot escape it in our thoughts. You do understand. There's a huge difference between watching a loved one die of old age and watching one get snuffed out, stomped out, stepped on, destroyed. And that brings me to the property again. Yes, we were buying many, many parcels of land and buildings, more than we needed, because we wanted to bring the other races in to the fold. We wanted to bring the cat people in as well. They needed to get closer to humanity and understand them. There seems to be a symbiotic relationship between human beings, dogs, and domestic cats. You have a lion, good, bad, or otherwise, literally, laying in your living room, waiting for you to pet it and hold it, and it purrs on you, for lack of a better term. The cat people are not quite...
quite like the domesticated lion. And this should be something you keep in mind. I wouldn't try to pet a cat warrior if I was you. They kind of take it as a offense, much as the same way as somebody using a very, very horrible racial slur might elicit a strike from someone of that race. Petting a cat warrior might elicit a scratch across the face, and these claws are as thick as your ape fingers and sharp as knives. They leave quite a gash, I assure you, and it's not pretty. They are very tall, the biggest of the sentient races on the planet. Sometimes their warriors are over eight feet tall. Not quite eight feet tall, I take that back, because they still kind of walk on all four. They have the ability to walk on their hind legs and even fight in a standing position. But they are much faster and stealthier and more dangerous when they resort to fighting on all four limbs. Some of them have grown long, dagger-like, saber-toothed tiger fangs to penetrate, to kill their enemies with one strike. And some of them have, have developed great forearms so that they can literally rend another warrior apart in a strike. It's amazing how varied, different the cats are. Their leader, their main warrior right now, his name is Tom Tom. And don't call him Tom Cat. His name is Tom Tom. Kind of like the tone, you know, like Tom 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 Tom. They all chant it when he's in the arena. They have gladiatorial games, much like your own Roman past ancestors did. Something a little similar to something you call professional wrestling. It doesn't resemble boxing at all. Boxing is very humane. Cat gladiatorial combat looks more like your pro wrestling, where they throw each other out of the ring and into the audience, and there's quite a bit of bloodshed in theatrics, I should say, for once again, lack of a better term. I have never seen anything so vile and disgusting as two cat warriors fighting each other in a ring. It's almost sadistic. They take pleasure in causing pain, and Tom Tom is their grand champion. A warrior, black cat, jet black, not a spot of white on him, and thick coated with fur. He's almost like an angora, and so big and brave, his upper body strength enormous. He's also one of the rarer cat warriors you'll ever meet, because he prefers to fight upstanding like a man, 
he's he's like the first of his kind, and his arms are of enormous strength. From behind, you'd almost think you were looking at a silverback gorilla, and he behaves much in the same way as one. Yes, he will go down on all fours to attack, to posture, to pose, but his true attacks come when he rises up onto his hind legs, and he just literally decimates an opponent, and he never does it the same way twice. In his mind, if he has to resort to killing or defeating an enemy the same way as he has in the past, then he's failed. In his mind, for him to truly destroy the alien warriors we soon shall face, he must be unique. He must see the opening, see the opportunity, and take full advantage of it. Why would they want to mingle amongst the humans? They are not as xenophobic as the marsupials. Being mammals, they should find some common ground with you, but they despise humanity's domestication of their kind, if you will. It bothers them immensely. You look at their kind as a pet, and though they are so far removed through millions of years of evolution from the domesticated cat, it still bears scars. We've tried to point out that some humans keep primates as pets, monkeys and small chimpanzees as pets, that they teach the great apes sign language and treat them as almost equals, as children, as as pets, if you will. I do not know another way of saying it, but they cannot escape the fact that you treat them as inferiors. And and it's not that you do it consciously. They're, they are a lesser creature that needs taken care of. Uh, after all, you clean their litter box. I've pointed this out many times to them, and they find that so strange. The slave master, they say, cleaning the litter box, cleaning the, the poo and the pee and the waste materials of their inferior pet. And I try to tell them that they do these things out of love. They feed their pet, buy it toys, pet it, love it, caress it. They take care of it when they're away by having others help them watch their cat home sit for them so their cat is taken care of. They're not cruel to the animals. They're actually very loving like a child and a parent. At least that's the way it appears to octopus. Now remember, I can speak quite clearly on this subject. I know a lot of you enjoy eating my race, even eating my kind, alive in your sushis. And octopus make the most lovable little pets in aquariums, don't they? And they have such a shortened lifespan, they are just cast off and another one replaced. 
I do not harbor ill will towards human beings because they eat everything. Why, if a human being can hold it down long enough, he'll bite its head off. It's just your nature. And, of course, my kind is so far removed from the ones you eat on your buffets at the Chinese restaurant. I am, I am so far away from that. It's like when you eat pork. At least in my mind, I think that way, and so do others of my kind. We don't look at it the same way the cats do. And I tell them very few humans eat cats. They venerate them. They paint paintings of them. They make statues of them. They bury them in graveyards, pet cemeteries, for goodness sakes. They write whole literatures about their pet cats. They make cartoons for their children to watch about cats. It is quite amazing, this relationship. And it's different because they treat the cats like they're more intelligent than them, whereas they treat the dogs like they're more docile than them. I don't know. I don't know. The way you literally worship cats in ancient Egypt, I would think that the feline population would be proud of their heritage and coexistence with humanity. But as I said... Not everything is as it should be. My point of view is not shared by them at all. We were hoping by buying property in the Chicago area and through many different devices of trickery and disguise and manipulation, we could get them to walk among the humans, to see how they interact with their pets, to see how they interact with each other, and get them to realize they love their children much in the same way as a cat loves its own litter of kittens. There's always hope. And of course the marsupials, having had to pull up their base and leave several years ago and when you discovered them, they were going to need their own base of operations separate from the cats because they don't interact well at all. And it's just better if Sadly, the races just keep to themselves, and I know segregation is such an ugly, ugly human term, but in this case, I think it's for the best because nobody wants bloodshed between these races, and they don't always get along. I'm amazed that we actually come together on this project at all, and quite frankly, it was the bees that brought everyone together with diplomacy. You wouldn't think a hive-minded creature like the bees would be so good at diplomacy, but they have a tendency to be so open-minded to each problem that each race has, they are so good at figuring out solutions. Our race just gets befuddled by everything and confused by all these conflicting thoughts and memories and hatreds and emotions that flood our minds when we talk to the other sentient races. The bees have no problem with this. Their minds are completely hooked up and connected to the hive mind, the queen giving out direct orders and the drones carrying them out explicitly. When they hear the thoughts, the facts, the problems and the issues that all the sentient races have, they come back and mathematically figure out the best solution to the problem. They make 
absolutely perfect diplomats. It's amazing. And you can't argue with their logic. It's perfect. We will get separate buildings. We will do this. We will do that. We will have conferences. We will bring the races together. We will do this, that, and the other. And everybody says, yes, it works. And we follow the plan, and it always comes out right. You wouldn't think they'd be able to bring races together like they do, but they do. It's amazing how diplomatic they are. They're also a little bit dangerous. They have retained the sting of their past generations, and their poison is more potent than ever, every generation getting more and more dangerous, as you would say. Just one scratch from their spiked stinger would kill a hundred of your kind. To see them pumping that venom into an alien, I retain that memory of a past fight when a bee did that to one of the alien invaders. And I must tell you, it was the most glorious revenge any Terran race ever took upon these alien invaders. I took great joy in getting that memory and passing it on to all those I could with my mind. And I would like to share that memory with you, fair doctor. There's also something else I would like to do. I would like to hear your opinion on all this. What do you think the primate race can bring to the table? Do you think you could possibly help us defeat these alien invaders? There's five of us now. In the contest of champions, there is always five. Will your race be ready to send a representative? Will your race be willing to bring a council to our table? We have regular monthly meetings. They're quite fun, and we have the most wonderful buffet foods. There's something for everyone there except sushi, of course. I would like to see you put together a delegation of humans from different parts of the world Maybe your United Nations could send a delegation. What a proud achievement of your race, a United Nations of the entire world. We envy you. How do you solve these problems in such a short time, relatively speaking? Our race is just now, after millions of years of evolution and discovery and back-and-forth fighting, have just now started working together right here in our base in Chicago, meeting on a monthly basis, forcing our diplomats to talk. And after your world war, your race only being civilized to the point of having cities and technology after 10,000 years, your race already has in 10,000 years, a united nations. I understand that it's a governing body with not a lot of power and authority, but what an achievement to bring all of the race, all of the religions, all of the countries, 
all the governments together and try to seek out world peace and equity. You are an amazing race. I could point out a million things you do differently than all of us. But right now, I need your opinion. Will you bring a delegation to the table? Will you join us, Dr. Andrew Michaels? Or is your race not ready yet? I await your answer. Thank you for joining us for ASMR Tirar de Huello. Remember to stay tuned for the next installment of this story coming soon. When you have a moment, please take the time to rate and review this podcast. If you are interested in additional ASMR content, you may view our library of videos at youtube.com slash The theme song Atlantis is by Jason Shaw of audionautics.com and is used by permission. Correspondence, including questions or requests, may be sent to tirardohuello at gmail.com. On behalf of Dr. Andrew Michaels, thank you.